Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Beyond the Noise, the podcast series from PR Week. I'm John Harrington, the editor of PR Week UK. This week's episode is all about the younger generation of talent in comms, their experiences of working in the sector what makes them tick, and what PR could do better. PR Week is currently running a survey aimed at Gen Z PRs to gauge their views on all things PR. So if you're Gen Z, do please spend a few minutes filling out the survey. Uh, free tickets up for grabs for PR Week's upcoming measurement conference as an incentive. And you could also, if you wish, see yourself quoted in PR Week in a series of articles in September. What a prize. Um, you can find the survey on the PR Week website and in the intro to this episode. Okay, so joining me today are two of the five finalists in the Young Game Changer category in the PR Week UK Awards this year. We have Katie Gabriel, Account Director at Instinctive Partners. Hello, Katie. Hello. And we have Josh Vinelot, Senior Account Manager at Aurora. Welcome, Josh. Hello. Thank you for having me. And my co-host today is one of PR Week's resident Gen Z's reporter, Evie Barrett. Hello, Evie. Hello. This is actually part one of a two-part series, I should say. We'll hear from some of the other Young Game Changer finalists in a follow-up podcast next month. So to crack on with this podcast, uh, the first question I have for you both, Josh and Katie, um, could you first describe your roles at the moment and discuss your career journey so far? Um, Katie, would you like to go first? Yeah, of course. Thank you. Um, so... My role at Instinctive is, I guess, sort of what a standard account director would do. I oversee the day-to-day -day delivery of several uh, different clients. Um, I, I specifically specialize in corporate comms and media relations, but very much work hand-in-hand -hand with our other specialisms across the business, particularly our public affairs and our digital teams. Um, and I'm quite fortunate. I'm sector agnostic at Instinctive. So I work across a range of sectors from retail, health, farming, FMCG, leisure, real estate, 
loads. Um, and I also work across a range of different clients in terms of the size and type of organization from high net worths to startups, FTSE listed corporates. So I'm really helping the, the junior team with day-to-day delivery and then helping the sort of more senior team um, with overall strategy. And of course, I think when you, when you get to the level of account director, it's great because you also get to feed into the company's own strategy and marketing and, and new business initiatives as well. So that's been really fun. Um, in terms of my introduction to comms, I didn't have a background in comms. I studied international relations at the University of Leeds. And yeah, I, I didn't I didn't really know what communications was when I was at university, I, I won't lie. Um, but I was quite politically active, really interested in current affairs. Um, and I campaigned quite a lot for um, different general elections and local elections. And, and through that, I, I realized I really liked politics. But kind of wanted to be in the background um, rather than at the forefront. And so I found out about public affairs and I actually started at a public affairs agency. Um, it was called Curtin & Co, London-based, um, but it's now called Chess Engage, I believe. Um, and after a year and a half of that, really loved it, but I kind of wanted a, a taste of corporate comms. I'd learned a bit more about that through friends and people in my network um, and also really wanted to work for an agency that was a bit bigger um, and had different specialisms under one roof. So found a job at Instinctive and haven't looked back since. Been there for about four and a half years now. Fantastic. Thank you. And Josh? Yeah, so I'm senior account manager at Aurora and Aurora's kind of, you could call it, a, I guess you call it a fully serviced healthcare communications agency. So we work um, with a really broad range of clients. Um, I work across multiple disease areas, essentially. So I work um, in rare diseases and I also work across um Genetic disease of obesity, where people have um, issues with their in their genes, which means they they become obese very early, um, and also work in some rare blood diseases. So, kind of, and across those areas, we kind of work in different disciplines of PR. So, whether that's classic media relations, whether it's digital stuff, um, more strategic or more creative campaigning, um, it's a real broad range. It's really my role is the. Similar, similar to Katie, so that that day to day delivery, but then also kind of that strategic oversight and helping the senior team um, deliver that, and kind of helping our clients think bigger, do better, and help help more patients. That's really what we're we're what um I've been trying to do. In terms of getting into PR, um, I did biochemistry at university, um, and I always you know I read a fascination with science and how things work, and then also kind of had a fascination with people and how people work, and I think. The, the kind of the marriage of those two is is healthcare communications. You know, how can you communicate inherently complex science to people that are living with, in some cases, lifelong or or, or deadly diseases, and and help and use that information to help them make more informed decisions and kind of ultimately help them live better lives. So you both touched on it a bit already, but did you always want to work in comms? And kind of how did you find out about that as a career possibility? What exactly drew you to it? So I, I think I had quite an un- unconventional journey into comms. Really, um, I, I I found out about public affairs first of all. I didn't really know what corporate communications was um, while I was at university, but I found out about public affairs through being on the campaign trail, engaging with MPs um, and people that work for um, you know different political parties, and sort of did a bit of research. Sent out loads of speculative 
CVs to companies asking if they'd take me on to do some work experience. And I actually managed to to get a, a placement with a, a public affairs group called Connect. Um, also London-based, they were fantastic. They had me for two weeks. Um, and then I also sent, I then sent a speculative CV to Curtin & Co. And the founder got back in touch and was like, your CV looks great. Um, you know, let, let's stay in touch. And then after I graduated, I, I reached out and um, yeah, got, got a job that way. So slightly, slightly unconventional. I would say I found it really, quite difficult um, to understand what comms is, what public affairs is. I found, you know, so many companies or agencies specifically don't actively advertise internships or graduate schemes or even work experience. It, it, it's not, they, they don't proactively reach out to universities and, and, and talk about what they do. It's, it's, it's all a bit smoke and mirrors. So I, I did actually find it quite tough. I won't lie, but got there in the end. That's really interesting. Did, did you find that Josh. Yeah, well, I guess I kind of had a more conventional uh, fall <laughs> into communications. I think I found with you know people I've spoken to, it's ended university and, and knew that I wanted to work in science, but not in a laboratory, um, which is kind of laboratory or do kind of further education. These are the kind of options that are presented to you as a, as a postgrad in science. Um, but so I started looking at kind of how I can stay involved in healthcare and really just started looking around the area and then communications was presented to me really just through my own research and then like sending out sending out CVs to to kind of bespoke communications agency one of which was Aurora um so I, I found getting in that way a bit easier I'd completely agree that um it was easier for me because I had a degree in science when actually my experience of the last four and a half years is that you might you know I don't think you necessarily need a degree in science to do my job I think I've learned so much more over the four and a half years that I've been here at Aurora um, about communicating and, and and how to do that than I did doing my biochemistry degree. Interesting. I mean, so on the topic of degrees, yeah. what's your view of academic qualifications in comms? Do you think they're necessary? I think they are, they can be useful. I don't know if they're necessarily, if they're necessary. Um, I think to, to your point, Katie, when we're talking about getting, um, kind of more people from work experience and get people from more diverse backgrounds, actually getting them or providing them or giving them the means to get professional qualifications is really important so that they can then leave a place of work who potentially people that haven't come from university, they can leave a, uh, you know, leave an extent of employment and, and have it and have like a professional qualification to go into their next place. Not just saying I've worked here for two years and this is the kind of stuff I've managed. I think that's really important. Um, and also in 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 healthcare, there's kind of there's training qualifications that are are really important. Kind of um, when you're looking at kind of how healthcare technologies are reimbursed or appraised in different countries, like having like being qualified and understanding that is quite important to the to the service we offer our clients. But I appreciate that's kind of a bit of a nuance to health. Yeah, interesting. And um, what do you think, Katie? I I'm a bit I'm a bit torn on this. I think there are elements of of communications that really benefit from some sort of academic qualification, particularly, you know, digital marketing and comms. I think that's quite technical and you have to sort of know know what you're doing and know how to use the different platforms. But generally speaking and in terms of what I do, which is broadly sort of media relations crisis all that kind of stuff, um I think it's more having the right skills and I think your university t- degree can give you those skills to to an extent, you know, being able to write something relatively coherent <laughs> you do normally get that from university but I've definitely honed that from having worked at, at Instinctive and at, and at Curtin & Co before that um, so yeah I would say it's all about having the right skills and I think they're often quite transferable I think it's things like you know confidence creativity 
communication. I know that sounds really sort of woolly, but, you know, you have to enjoy actually speaking to people. Um, And things like that are probably slightly more important. And they're all things that you can ultimately mould and nurture on the job. That makes a lot of sense. So you've both been in the industry for a few years now, but if you cast your minds back to when you sort of first started out, how do you think your first impressions of the industry differed from the expectations that you might have had? Um, I think there was something that struck me immediately, and that was the pace at which, you know, we all work a a lot of, um, particularly having moved from public affairs to corporate comms, the, the pickup in pace is quite significant, I would say. You know, when you're working in public affairs, you normally you're working to the sort of parliamentary calendar and things are a bit steadier. But when you're working to typically a journalist schedule, things are very fast paced and you, you know, you're often handling quite sensitive information. And so it has to be, you know, you have to pay really close attention to detail and, you know, not get things wrong. Um so I, I found that quite overwhelming. Um but I, I, I would say you do build up stamina over time, even after six six months or so. Um, but those first few six months, I, I won't lie, I did have a bit of a confidence crisis. And I didn't really know if I was cut out for it, to be honest. Um, but you build up resilience, you build up stamina, and you and you learn to be able to think on your feet quite fast. Um, just another thing that has surprised me, sort of taking a slightly more longer term view as well, is just the pace, of the the way that the industry's changed. Even I started at Instinctive in 2019. And even looking at the media landscape specifically, so much has happened since then in terms of the way that you interact with journalists. And, you know, you think of the rise and demise of certain publications. Um, You know, we were talking about this sort of explosion of podcasts earlier, Um, but also things like um, the way in which you, you get hold of a journalist and the way that you pitch to them. And even things like you know, if you think about how young people consume news now, it's completely different. They 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 use social media and they're not going to be young people forever. So you do have to be very agile. And I don't think it's an industry for coasting and sitting on your laurels. You have to be constantly learning. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. It's good to, I think, uh, you know, uh, younger people, newer people, newer starting industry will be very sort of probably relieved to hear that it's not just them. You know, it's this kind of thing that, mm. you know, you say you had difficulties at the start and it was, you know, a bit of a challenge. And, you know, I think that's probably more common than people think in this oh, industry. Totally. And, you know, whenever, whenever I, you know, I line manage, I've line managed a couple of people now within our team, but work with multiple junior members and I'm constantly telling them how much I struggled at the beginning, because I think it's really important to, you know, have a bit of compassion and yeah. um, share those experiences because actually it helps other people grow as well. I think it's quite that's quite what's really nice about this industry. It's I think it's quite unique in terms of the fact that everyone that's kind of at the top on the most like for the most part, everyone that's at the top has actually been through from the start. Yeah. So everyone you can you can always like relate back and you you're naturally well, would hopefully be more naturally like empathetic towards what they're going through. And it is a case of kind of you know, we've we've all been here and it, it is difficult and it, it is hard to start with. Um, but kind of having that grit and determination to, to get through it. Um, to deal with the pace. Yeah. yeah. Was there anything else that surprised you, Josh? Um, I think I had a bit of an expectation that I'd be launching a kind of multi-channel campaign every five minutes when I, when I started, <laughs> which uh, is frankly just not the case. Um, so th- that was definitely like, I think, because yeah, the, the pace is fast, but it's the pace of all of these tiny little things which build towards these bigger moments. And it's understanding that. I think when you first such really hard 
to kind of get your head out of the weeds from that. And you're kind of so focused on all these tiny little things. And you're, you're a little bit like, well, what does it, what, when is this all going to make sense and add up to something? It's having that learning to have that oversight and that kind of being able to take a step back and go, right, this all builds to this moment. And that's why it's really important to get all, all of those steps are so important to get to there. Yeah. Um, that was definitely something that was a you know, different expectation. Interesting. Um, thank you for that. So next question from me, um, what would you say have been your favorite and also your least favorite things about working in comms, would you say? I have to say I'm quite lucky at Instinctive and I've developed a bit of a niche in sort of working with the third sector. Um, so I work with four charities at the moment and they're all very, very different in terms of their focus. But I find the work for them so fulfilling because they don't, I mean, not it's not always the case, but they don't often have really big internal teams or internal resource or, in, or big budgets. So you do have to think quite creatively in terms of helping them punch above their weight. You also have quite an integral role to play and they're normally campaigning for something good in the world. So mm. it's actually really nice to be able to support and, and, and play a role within that. And something that I've been working on recently with um, Speakers for Schools, which is a social mobility charity, all about helping state school uh educated young people into the world of work um and we've been campaigning for universal work experience provision in state schools as it's no longer mandatory and half of kids aren't getting to do it and you're more likely to if you've got affluent parental connections and go to a private school and all, and all that kind of thing but actually help poli- you know campaigning for policy change getting things in the today program the red box bbc breakfast there's just been so many amazing opportunities um and you've, you know, you, you do shut your laptop and you're like, oh, I've done, done all right today. <laughs> it's, it's been a good day. Great. And flip side, least favourite. <laughs> flip side, right. I'm going to re, I'm going to reposition the low lights to challenges. Um, and I would, <laughs> gonna, such a PR. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I would say that um, one, one thing I would say is that, you know, at working within an agency, you are normally supporting, you know, the people in the comms team and sometimes the C-suite and they always, you know, often not see the value of what you do in terms of supporting their, their reputation. But I often think there's a bit of a disconnect between the wider organization that they work with and you really have to help them, you know, to get buy-in and, and to get them to realize that, you know, working on comms and PR and, and prioritizing that sometimes is really important. You know, often we what we do is quite time sensitive and the people that you're engaging with beyond the Marcoms team within a business don't necessarily understand it. And they ca- it can be quite, it you know, it can add delays. And it- Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It can, it can be quite... I don't know, it can cause a bit of friction. So that's one thing. Second thing I would say is the way in which we have, we do engage with the media now is, is it's definitely harder than it was pre COVID. I would say, um, you know, firstly, you just can't really, it's, it's much harder to get hold of people. I think there's a balance journalists. A lot of journalists really like to do the face-to-face coffees and lunches. A lot of people don't really care about that anymore. They're too busy. Um, you've got to, you've got to pump out a lot more news often with smaller teams. Um, 
you know, and the way that pieces are measured in terms of clicks and dwell time and things, there's a lot, there's a lot of different metrics that they have to consider that, that we didn't have to before. Um, and I think often, you know, the way of building a good relationship these days is just giving a journalist a good story and then <laughs> it goes from there, but it, it is quite difficult when, you know, you don't get a response or you can't get through to someone on the phone. Um, you don't know whether to message them on social media. Is it appropriate? It's, it's just, it's a bit more of a minefield than it was before. Yeah, I could imagine. No, I feel for you. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, same question to you, Josh. Least favourite, favourite and then least favourite. Favourite and least favourite, pit and peak. Um, so my favourite thing definitely about healthcare communication is that I get to work with patients quite regularly. I get to speak to patients who are just, they're always inspiring. I've never spoken to a patient and they've like their story hasn't been just absolutely amazing. Um and I get to help them tell their story on kind of, you know, and, and amplify and use that to help other people like them living with health conditions live better, which is extremely rewarding. Um, and I and I know we were talking about previous, but I really like the pace. I mean, you're never bored. No. Didn't ever. <laughs> um, which I like. I get to work on loads of different things. I work on different, really, you know, niche disease areas, things that are kind of not really understood or like, you know, people just starting out to understand them. So I find that really rewarding. In terms of cha- the challenges, as Katie put it, um, <laughs> I think process is can really slow things down. Um, I think they're important on the mo- of for the most part, but I think sometimes processes can stifle creativity. They can stifle how we partner with other people and work closely with them. We can kind of process can make things a transactional relationship when actually we should be looking to set up, you know, particularly when working with patients long long-term um partnerships with them so they're involved throughout it's not just we're asking them for an opinion and then that's it they're involved they're involved throughout so yeah that's kind of one of the challenges and yeah i think all of kate's points found it difficult to, to talk to journalists um we spoke with freelance health writers the other day came in to aurora and they were just they were describing the change that they've gone through through like you know the digital um the rise of digital news and that everything is just digital now it's very rare that things might get also get put in the paper and mm. how they're almost two very they, they are now two very separate disciplines right for print and right for digital and um the kind of the challenges with yeah as you said the metrics they've got and actually does that just end up with us publishing loads of the same stories and news because they're like well th- we, this is performing well we just want more of this and then do you just get and you, uh, like a new site that's just got all the same stories on it. So, yeah, no, I can imagine how how challenging that is. You know, with the sort of uh, the kind of the overwhelming metrics that journalists are sort of faced with. And mm. uh, yeah, I mean, we we see some of it ourselves, and we're obviously in a very different situation from a, you know being being a trade title. Mm. But yeah, no, I've, I I could definitely definitely see where that comes from. Yeah, I wanted to pick up on that point about contacting journalists too, actually, because I think there's a perception that younger people hate picking up the phone, hate calling people. So they'll just email, message on social media, do anything they can to not have to speak to someone over phone or video call. I wondered if either of you kind of have that view or whether you're more happy to pick up the phone. I I do think that is slightly the case, but I, I wonder whether it's a sort of a byproduct of the fact that pre-COVID, I'm, I'm not sure if it was the same for you, Josh, but we'd have quite intense two-day sell-ins. Yeah. You'd do loads Best of friends. ring rounds and, you know, landlines were still a, a thing. They weren't completely, you know, redundant. And you'd spend, a, you, you just get thrown into the deep end. Whereas now 
pitching to the media is very different. You normally have to leave a bit more time. Um, you, you don't really do the blanket pitch. You don't really just sort of call random people until you get through to the right one because it really annoys, you know, annoys journalists. So I, I wonder if a byproduct of that is that that there's been less exposure to the sort of the big sort of classic PR sell-ins that that don't really exist as much anymore um, and has made them a bit more a bit more nervous. Um, but I, I personally, I quite like calling journalists. Um, it, it is quite nerve-wracking sometimes. <laughs> I have been hung up on a few times, so I won't lie. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's that ultimately that's how you, you build a relationship with these people. So yeah. And I think that's definitely, it's building a relationship with them. And you said it earlier and it's true. The uh, the only way to build relationships with journalists is through giving them good stories. Yeah. I think we're, we're kind of um, kidding ourselves. We're thinking that we can build a relationship without giving them stuff that they're going to publish, which unfortunately we're not always working with the most exciting news all the time. There are times where you, you're having to tell them a story that we know isn't going to compete against the biggest health news story of the day um, or whatever it might be. So um, but if you've got that relationship where you can start to build that through giving them a good story, then I think, and you have that and you know that journalists are like to pick up the phone. Like I know there are certain ones that I'm that will answer the phone to me and will talk to me. And there are some which I just will not do because they'll just shout you off the phone because they're busy. They're producing loads more news every day. Um, but yeah, I think it just very much depends on the journalist and the relationship you have with them. Um, and for the younger generation, I think, I think that I think they're happy to. I've seen that they're 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 they are keen to pick up the phone and talk to them. I think it is nerve-wracking, but I think they also see it as a right of passage and want to do yeah. it and want to try it and want to get it wrong and want to, you know, struggle through it. So yeah. Yeah, I remember when I when I joined Instinctive, we had this thing called Instinctive Bootcamp and one of the the partners, um, you know, all the newbies we were all gathered in in a room doing training and we were gonna do training on how to sell into a journalist and he would make us one by one go into the next meeting room call him he would pretend to be a journalist and we'd have to do the selling in oh, front of everyone no. on speakerphone that's horrible <laughs> <laughs> um it was terrifying um and he'd really give you a grilling but i don't know it was also funny yeah. quite tongue-in-cheek yeah. and it, quickest way to learn i would say um but yeah i we haven't we've stopped doing that now <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> no interesting um yeah, it'd be good to talk about client relations as well. Have you been sort of surprised about how easy it is to work with clients or how, you know, some of those dynamics there? What, what, what's been your sort of impression of clients versus what, what you thought it would be overall? You don't have to like name any in particular if you don't want to. No, no, that's fine. Um, I'm, I, I personally find it quite easy to work with clients. Um, maybe I'm particularly lucky with who I get to work with. I, I don't know. I mean, I think there are slight nuances between the types of companies that you can work for. So say if you're working for a startup, there's not normally a comms team, you are the comms team. Um, and, you know, you're engaging with the founder of the startup or the CEO or whatever. And, you know, they're time poor, they've got, they're spinning a lot of other plates. So you have to be quite very efficient. You know, then you've got the sort of bigger companies that will have a, a fully fledged comms team and there is as you say Josh normally a lot more processes involved with that um so things can take quite a long time to get over the line um charities it, it can it can vary again but no I, I I honestly find client relations all well and good I think you just have to you know bring energy bring ideas be proactive um you know think about your KPIs, make sure you're hitting them, but just think about, think outside the box as well and take that time to sort of take a step back and think about the bigger picture and, and you know, not getting stuck in the day-to-day, -day, just sort of taking one day at a time. I think that's what clients really appreciate most of the time. 
Yeah. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that's why clients work with agencies is so we we get to have we have that outside perspective. We don't just work on one hundred percent of what they're doing. Like we have we're working across loads of different things. We get inspired by lo- from loads of different places, and they value that thinking. So as long as you're bringing that um, that kind of creativity and extra thought to them, um, as well as you know uh, maintaining high standards and all, all that kind of like you know nuts and bolts stuff, I think the kind of relationships are I found particularly easy. But I also think we're in a people business, really. Mm. Like we're, it's a rare, it's a, it's an odd kind of industry in terms of we kind of, we're selling ideas more than anything. Like strategy is 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 an idea. And whilst, yeah, you know, you produce a press release or you produce a, you know, you're producing thought leadership content. These are things where, you know, they're, they're buying, they're buying the people and the people that are selling it, the people that are making it and, um, and the ideas behind them. So. I would actually also add to that. I would say there's, I guess, two parts of the client relationship in terms of you want to get good results on behalf of the organization, which is what you've agreed to do. But I do also think a part of your your job as as a PR agency is really helping them to PR themselves internally um, yeah. and and sort of see them grow and, you know, allow them to go back and take results to the wider business and say, you know, this is what we've been working on. I think that's quite a valuable part of of, of what you do you are you are a, a support network as well and you know just advisors generally yeah it's pretty it's proving that role of comms for them because they have to do it internally they have to fight yeah. that battle and how can we best help them prove that you know the budget they've been given this year is is has been well spent so another thing that i wondered was kind of in terms of working in the office working from home what your ideal split is because i think there's a bit of an assumption that young people like working from home because it's what they're used to maybe from COVID and the sort of starting out in their careers. But I'm not sure whether that's the case so much, especially this year. What do you guys think? So I really like being in the office, but that's, I think, because I'd started pre-COVID and we had to be in the office all the time. Right. And I think now, like Aurora's fantastic. We have a really good flexible working policy. It's kind of, you know, in as many days as you like. And some account teams um, agree amongst themselves days they're going to be in. But I actually think for the looking at the younger generation, the the benefits that I got working into the being being in the office all the time might probably aren't the same same for them now. Like if every, if not everyone's in the office all the time, you're not getting to form the connections with all of those teams that I so I got I got the opportunity to form connections with. Um, so maybe they're not seeing that kind of benefit to being in the office. So maybe they don't want to be in as often. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it is important to be in the office, especially when like, I, I thank so much the fact that we were in the office all the time because I sat next to someone who was really good at their job and I asked them questions every five minutes and it just meant that I could quickly, quickly learn things. So I, I, I do think it's really important. I, I would agree with you there, Josh. I think it's really important, particularly in the industry that we're in. I, I do think there is a lot of learning by osmosis and sort of overhearing conversations in the office. And, you know, I started back in January, 2019 at Instinctive and yeah, I sat on a bank of desks surrounded by people all the time and you pick up so much, even if it's just email or phone call etiquette, thing, things like that. It's so important. Um, but no, at Instinctive actually, I everyone really quite likes being in the office, particularly the younger generation, because I do think they see the value in that. Um, we we have like a hybrid working model. So we are, we're now in Mondays and Wednesdays 
and then typically a, a third day as well. Um, but no, I mean, I left the office at, at lunchtime today and it was really buzzy atmosphere. If anything, it's too loud. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I mean, I would say that working from home is really useful when, you know, you've got maybe quite a meaty press release to draft or you, you need to lock yourself away to really concentrate on something. I think that's when working from home can be really valuable. Um but no, I, I, from from our experience at Instinctive, I would say all the all the younger younger guys like being in the office and, and see the value in it. Great. Okay, so I'm going to move on to the final question now. If you could change one thing about the industry, what would it be, Katie? Okay, I am going to harp on about work experience even more <laughs> because it is just the one thing that I think has really struck me both. I, from my own personal experience and from actually having spoken to a few other junior members of the team, but also, you know, working on this campaign with speakers for schools, it, it really made me reflect on the fact that I had no work experience and I had to graft to, to get it. I remember going to events at university and seeing that it was, you know, being hosted by someone who either used to work at a public affairs company or did. And I would literally go wait until the end to speak to them and like have my CV in my pocket, or you'd send out countless emails and, and no one would ever get back to you. Um, and I, I just think it, it, agencies are generally missing a trick. I think, you know, diversity and inclusion is such a, a big issue for, for the industry across a whole facet of different areas, but from a regional and sort of a socioeconomic perspective, I think it's it, it it can be solved through tools like work experience. Say if you've got London agencies that um, you know are, are willing to engage with a broader, diverse uh, sort of diverse range of young people, not necessarily just from the London bubble, you might start to sort of a shore up your own talent pipelines, but actually sort of you know just. I guess, generate more awareness of the industry in general. I mean, I would have loved it if someone came into my school or my university to talk about PR, what it was. I think, it, you know, it's, it's actually it's so easy to sell PR as an industry. I think it's so interesting, um, but it's just not enough young people know about it unless you've got a connection that potentially works in that line of work. And Instinctive's great. We, we've always offered work experience and, you know, we work with amazing organizations like the Taylor Bennett Foundation, but it's always been giving, you know, giving it to children of colleagues or friends of family. And it's sort of a bit nepotistic and, you know, completely not the way that we should be doing it. So we're actually doing our first work experience program with Speakers for Schools to target disadvantaged young people in London um, and bringing them into our office. So it's a step forward, but I think all agencies should be thinking uh, thinking about it a bit more strategically. Excellent. No, really, really good point. Really good point. And uh, Josh? I'm going to echo Katie's point as well. I think I do think the the the, the broader kind of um, getting diverse people into agency, so you have diversity of thought at the table and diversity of experiences, absolutely paramount to giving diverse creative programs to our clients. Like if you get a, if you get a group of people to sit around and brainstorm about a problem that have all had the same experiences in life, the ideas are going to come up with are going to be the same. Exactly. And if we can get people in, um, like we're, we're doing the same now, working with Lambeth Council, trying to get, um, oh, great. yeah, trying to get, um, work partner with them to get people in for work experience into Aurora. Cause I think, yeah, if you can start there and these people that, you know, might not have the connections to get work experience, might not necessarily be going to university and get them in now and show them how interesting this industry is and the impact they can make, um, then yeah, I think we'll, the, the, yeah, the talent pipeline of the industry is going to be, significantly significantly better yeah good stuff well good to hear you both in agreement on that one. <laughs> i know and, yeah 
Totally agree. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, fantastic. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. So thank you so much, Katie, Josh um, and Evie for, for taking part today. Um, a reminder to everyone or for all of the Gen Z's PRs listening, do please take a few minutes to complete PR Week survey and have your voice heard. So that's it. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.